Welcome to the Rob Fay Nation podcast. An extension of Rob Fay Nation Radio. A new way of enjoying sports. Each week, Vancouver-based sports brought to you from a different location. Please be warned. This podcast will be monitored by those looking to tear down. We will rise above with fresh content and a new perspective. I told you we were going to get this going. I am Rob Fay, and welcome to episode two of Rob Fay Nation podcast, the number 33 ranked podcast for sports in all of Canada. And that was just after one week with no advertising, a day late to the party, and they still wanted to hear from the nation. Week two, we got a great one for you again. We're going off the grid. We're calling this episode Behind the Lens. We've got so much for you this week. Two fantastic guests. We're going to get into the Canucks. We're going to get into the Whitecaps. We're going to get into Major League Baseball, and we're going to cram it into half an hour. Waste no time, you say. I got you. Let's get to this week's guests. On this week's Rob Fay Nation podcast, we focus on those behind the lens. Up first, Trevor Henderson, longtime cameraman for Sports Page and current shooter with Global TV, has worked on the Vancouver Sports Beat for more than 30 years. As well, filmmaker, producer, director, and the mind behind the hit documentary, Finding Big Country. Rob Fay Nation podcast welcomes Kat Jamie to this week's episode. Two legitimate guests just minutes away right here on the Rob Fay Nation podcast. Wherever you download your podcasts, you can find Rob Fay Nation. Subscribe, share, whatever it takes. We got to grow this. I want to be one of the top 10 podcasts in Canada by the time we get to Christmas. I think it's fair. We might overshoot the moon, but I am here asking you right here, right now, before we get to any of it, let's make this thing grow. An extension of Rob Fay Nation Radio, Rob Fay Nation Podcast, hand-delivered to you every Wednesday. Let's build this bad boy up. I got something to say. Because I've been watching Canuck Twitter, I've been watching it for the last couple of weeks, and I got something to say. Let's kick it off. And it's the jump off right here. You know he'll play. He'll play on touches. He will play, and he'll play at Madison Square Garden. All right, I don't want to get off on a bit of a rant here when it comes to this podcast. I do want to try to keep it positive, but Canuck Nation... I am looking at you as we kick off this show. Before we get to the guest, before we get to Kat Jamie, who's going to be talking about Bryant Reeves and her filmmaking efforts, before we get to Trevor Henderson, who, if you're in this industry, be it as a podcaster or as a mainstream media member, you need to know more about Trevor Henderson, a fantastic guy. I cannot wait to bring him onto this podcast just minutes from now. But before we get to those two, dear Canuck fans, I'm going to say this as kind of a, you know, introductory conversation between us because I know that last week I got right into the interview and there wasn't really an opportunity for you and I to get to know each other on this medium. So I'm going to try to be gentle. I'm going to try to be fair, but I'm also going to keep it real. So dear Canuck fan that comes out with their grids and their pie charts and their hot takes and their insider information. Heading into the 2020 playoffs for those who made it, including the Vancouver Canucks, you don't know shit. Just so we're clear, 
there is no way that you can get down and analyze any of these series because there are so many variables, things that we have never had to deal with as people that look in on this game. Sorry, you think that Jake Vertanen scoring 18 goals three months ago has any bearing on what Jake Vertanen we're going to get in this play-in series against Minnesota? Do you think that Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, Horvat, Jacob Markstrom, you think we know what they're going to get? You think we know what we're going to get from them? Stop it. I understand that in sports media, those who have to fill three to four hours of a show or have to tweet certain things certain days to make sure that they keep their quota up and that they're relevant, they have to come up with something. But I'm sorry. As a guy that has worked in the sports industry for 20-some-odd years, I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't know who's going to step up. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm cool to learn what lines are being put together. I want to know what Travis Green is doing. But I cannot sit here and tell you that Vancouver's going to be better than Minnesota or Minnesota's going to be better than Vancouver because you know what? Who knows? I sit here and I watch Canuck Twitter. I listen to the radio shows. I peek in on the TV once in a while. I watch all the stuff that is pumped to the forefront by all these different media outlets. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, they must be starved for content. They must be trying to figure this out on the fly because I can tell you this. And I say this as a guy that has played sports, not professionally, but I think I know my way around a baseball field, and I would assume that the major sports, they kind of link together. For example, baseball, I don't know what I'm going to get. College football, if they were to play, I wouldn't have a clue. The thing that I'm trying to say here is as everybody waxes poetically on Canuck Twitter or in the media here in Vancouver, you have to do this with tempered expectation. No? Like... Please tell me that we're not going to have the heavy hitters in this city going to rely on agent speak, are going to sit here and rely on hot takes and pie charts. I mean, the reality is, is this is the one time that we can actually just sit here collectively and just enjoy what we're going to see, which in sport is a rarity, the unknown. Because I can tell you this, and I'm saying this straight to your face. The analytic community can sit here and wax poetically about guys that are faster, guys that can snipe more, and it doesn't mean shit. So why don't we just take our foot off the gas? Why don't we conversate? But I don't need hot takes at this point in the year. I don't need some Twitter badass coming forward saying, well, how do you not think of that? Well, you know why I don't think of that, tough guy? Because nobody knows what's happening. And if you listen to the insiders, the ones that really will be in the arena calling the game, they don't know either. So if you've got a hot take, cool, man. Fill your boots. But at the end of the day, remember one thing. This, for the first time in the modern hockey era, is the great unknown. A season that was stopped due to a pandemic that they're going to try to start again two and a half to three months later. With no fans, certain players not going back to their teams, in a bubble where nobody aside from two teams has home ice, you can't predict that. So don't try to be that person. Sit back, enjoy it, keep your pie charts, your graphs, your grids, keep it all to yourself for once. Next year, do whatever you got to do. But for this year, watching you on social media and in the media, taking shots, acting like you know something, Stop it.
All right, we're going to talk to somebody who went down to Gans, Oklahoma. Trust me, there's not a lot of people looking for plane tickets to Gans, Oklahoma, but the reason that Cat Jamie went down there was to find a guy that everybody in this city has been looking for for almost 20 years now. She found Bryant Reeves. She found Big Country. Writer, director, producer, filmmaker, Cat Jamie, thank you so much for joining me here on Rob Nation Podcast. I really appreciate this. Maybe we can set the table here. Of course, you're from Vancouver. You loved the Grizzlies back in the day. I won't steal too much of your thunder here. Why don't you let everybody listening know just what made you decide to make such a cool documentary? I mean, I was a huge childhood fan of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Grew up watching them, went to so many games with my family. It was a huge part of my childhood. And you know, I feel like the Grizzlies, despite their losing record, really shaped my life. And I became a filmmaker. And with this idea that I was, I, I always wanted to tell the story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. I knew that it was such a, like a goldmine idea. And I knew that someone was going to tell it one day. And I just wanted that person to be me because I just felt like I had such a personal connection to the Grizzlies. And I really felt that the Grizzlies are, to many people, you know, they they can be looked at as a joke, but they weren't that to me at all. And so I wanted to make sure that their integrity would be kept. So that's one of the other reasons why I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker to tell this story. During my research, when I was just starting out, I found that, you know, majority of all the articles I found about the Grizzlies ended with the line, the only person that we haven't been able to get in touch with is Brian Bikunchi Reeves, who hasn't spoken publicly about his time in Vancouver since the Grizzlies left town. And so I said, whoa, like, you know, I love Big Country. He's my favorite player back in the day. And wouldn't it be cool if I was the first person to find him? And so that kind of was where, you know, everything kind of began. Kat, I was having this conversation with somebody just the other day, and I feel like Bryant Reeves and the Sedins went in two completely different directions over their careers in Vancouver. Let me explain. For example, when the Grizzlies took Bryant Reeves back in 1995, there was all this hype, and everybody was talking about big country, the kid out of Oklahoma State. And by year three, he was the laughingstock of this city, and because he was just big and clunky and really never got over the flip side of this is the Sedins come to town. They get ripped for the first couple of years because they're too scrawny. They don't look like hockey players, but eventually they earn their keep. So the reason I bring this up is I wonder if that ever took its toll on Bryant. And what I mean by that is now that he's long done, you've had a chance to sit down with him intimately and have conversation. I want to know if that left a lasting scar with Bryant Reeves when it came to the criticism that he took over his time in Vancouver. We did chat about everything. There's so much that had to unfortunately hit the cutting room floor. He sat in the chair for me two days in a row for about two to three hours each day. He he just looks at his time in Vancouver very fondly. And, you know, the line that I love most is when he says, someone's always going to doubt you. So you just have to tune that crap out and just go about your business. And I that's really how he operates. And it's such great advice for anyone, especially for me as a filmmaker. Like, you know, you're always going to have people who don't understand your work, disagree with how you made things. So I think for me, I, I took that, that piece of advice to heart. But I truly believe that that's how he was raised. And that's how he went about his time here in Vancouver. So I don't think it got to him too much. And I think he had the right mind frame to deal with uh, that criticism. Kat Jamie joined us here on Rob Fay Nation podcast. And Kat, I want to say that I don't know if you were to put a United States of America map in front of me, I could point out where Gant, Oklahoma is. And you went down there, very small town, I assume. 
and you found a way to endear yourself to the community, which eventually got you to Bryant Reeves. But talk to me about the first moments in Gans, Oklahoma. They always say, like in all the articles I read, and it's true, you can drive through Gans without even knowing you've (laughs) driven through Gans. There's like one stop sign. There are no stoplights or anything. It's such a tight-knit community, and everyone was just so kind to us. I think the gym is named after him, if I'm not mistaken, at his, you know, his old elementary school. And he has sort of like a shrine going on in his school where, where they have just like all his like trophies, a big po- like the life poster of him that many of us in his Grizzlies uniform that many of us has kids. To get to Bryant, they were, that was my in. I had to um, gain the trust of all his friends and those in the community. And they're the ones who, yeah, exactly, who vetted me and who vouched for me and helped me gain access to him. Kat, the more I listen to you, the more surreal this seems to me. It seems like he's so guarded. I mean, was it really that hard to get to Bryant Reeves? First of all, here in Canada, he's just such a mystery. And even if you do see him, like, he's so hard to track down to get, like, a sit-down interview. So Barry Trammell, who's a very famous sports reporter in Oklahoma, Barry helped, was one of the guys who helped me get access to Bryant. But Barry even told me, he's like, we've been trying to have a sit-down interview with Bryant for the past, like, 10 years. And it's not that he just doesn't, like, it's just that he'd rather be on his ranch doing his thing. And he has no problem. He loves talking about Vancouver and the Grizzlies, but he'd just rather be with his family on his ranch, which I totally understand. And if you, you know, if you were to go to Bryant's ranch, you'd understand why he just wants to spend, like, every second there. It's such a, it's just a beautiful place. And you got to see it live. It's pretty impressive. You know, I do find from a filmmaking perspective, the story interesting because you're trying to pitch this, I would imagine, not 100% certain that you can actually meet Bryant Reeves. Can you walk me a little bit through the process of building the actual film itself? You know, I was pitching this film for about uh, one to two years got a lot of no's because, you know, a lot of people told me no one cares about the Grizzlies, who are the Grizzlies. You know, I don't think there's an audience for this. I knew that they were wrong and I knew that there was going to be an audience because I'm not the only obsessed, childhood, like heartbroken fan that still is obsessed with the Grizzlies. But I will say that I was blown away by how, like I knew there was an audience for it, but it exceeded my expectations. And I think, you know, I think it was the perfect time to tell the story. I feel like enough time has passed for us to actually look back and be like, you know what, that was actually uh, like a beautiful time in Vancouver to have had the NBA here and the fact that the NBA has grown so much within the past few years, um, you know, especially the Raptors, you know, doing so well. I think I want us, you know, as a city to reclaim our history and, re- and, and reclaim that team and, you know, proudly say, yeah, we had a team here too. And, you know, Canada had two teams. It wasn't just the Toronto Raptors. And yeah, again, like, yeah, especially because right now there's a clearly for sports. You know, ESPN did pick up Finding the Country, which is amazing. Stories are important, and, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to share this story even more two years after its release. Kat, there is absolutely more to this story, isn't there? Like, finding the country, I always wanted to tell the full story from beginning to end, because I just thought there's there's so much heart and there's so much unknown that people are still very confused about when it comes to the Grizzlies, like, what actually happened, and there's, there's still full of mysteries and scapegoats and pointing the finger at who's to blame. 
Finding the Country was actually just supposed to be like, even it's 40 minutes, so it's still considered a short film. And it was supposed to act as a proof of concept to get, you know, to help get the next one made. Um, and then Big, Finding the Country just took a life of its own in the edit editing room became longer than we expected and then when we released it it again just took another life of its own which is amazing but even while I was shooting Finding Me Country I was like this is there's still the other film that I want to make and while I was even working on Finding Me Country I was already like these bits of information will be revealed in Finding the Country. These ones I'm going to save for the, the next Grizzlies documentary. Still, I was like working on working on Finding the Country, but within with the other film always in mind. So even though you had him in Finding Big Country, would it be possible that the sequel would be Finding Stu Jackson? <laughs> it's, uh, it's the next film, which will be a, a crave and uninterrupted film. It's called The Grizzly Truth, and it's about getting to the heart of, you know, what happened, how Hoover was able to get an NBA team in record time and, and what happened uh, to have made the, you know, the franchise lose it in another record time six years. So finally getting to the bottom of everything and trying to set the record straight and Stu Jackson will definitely be part of this next film. Kat, I'm probably like the millionth person to say this, but I just have to say how impressive it is that you took something conceptually so you know, challenging, so risky about trying to find somebody that even the best media guys in North America have had trouble doing and not only getting the interview, but making it into a film. You should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. That really means a lot. But, you know, I, I definitely had such an amazing, amazing team, amazing editor, cinematographer, producers. It was a team effort, you know, just like basketball filmmaking is such a team thing. So I have to give credit to those guys as well. Nicely done. You can find Big Country anywhere. ESPN, you could find it online. Make sure if you have any interest in the Vancouver Grizzlies or just in a really cool story about a player that at one point was at the height of Vancouver sports, now all of a sudden 20 years removed, tough guy to find, one person found him. Cat Jamie, thank you for making me a part of your day. Have a great one. Thanks so much, Rob. Tonight on Sports Page, Sunday Skills Show. Canucks cap off a wild weekend with a made-for-fans event at GM Place. Fish out of water. Marlon right-hander and DC boy Ryan Dempster puts on a clinic in Victoria. And nothing could be finer than being a 49er. Jeff Garcia leads San Fran to a route over the Dolphins. Yes, it is the unmistakable music of Sports Page. That from about uh, 2000, 2001. Hard out there, by the way. This tape that you provided me wasn't doing me any favors. Please remember to give this cassette back to the Moj when you are done. He will notice it's missing from his iRock if it is not back by sunrise. Okay, then. So we know about all the people that were front-facing when it comes to Sports Page. Everybody from Don Taylor, Barry McDonald, the dude Sean McCormick, John Shorthouse, I mean Dave Randorf, the list goes on and on and on about people that just got pumped out of Paul Carson's factory. And one guy behind the lens is considered by many of those names that I just mentioned to be the glue that held everything together. And he joins me right now, longtime veteran cameraman, Trevor Henderson, what a thrill it is for me to have you on this podcast. Trevor, I'm going to start right from the beginning. Walk me through what got you even interested in in being a cameraman or getting involved in this industry. I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and I had a cousin who worked in the television business there. 
And then he moved on to big things in, in England, worked in the news industry. Sort of inspired me a little bit or at least piqued my interest in the business. And I never really intended to get into sports. As a kid, you know, I, I used to listen to a police scanner just for fun. So when I got into shooting, it was I had a real keen interest in listening to police scanners and ambulance chasing, as they say, and did that for a couple of years for some reason, and I don't really know why. My interest in doing that kind of thing in the news kind of waned. I kind of lost interest in it a little bit and, and really discovered an interest in the sports. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, I was, I was a sports fan, but I didn't say my interest in shooting sports just became overwhelming, and I just really enjoyed it. it I don't know if it was working with the people I was working with or doing the things I was doing. I'm not really sure, but... Yeah, I started out with a keen interest in news, and then it turned into a keen interest in sports. And, I'm, you know, I was fortunate to end up doing what I did. Trevor, how did you end up getting together with Sports Page? Because I can't imagine that you just walked in one day and said, you know, this is my jam. This is what I want to do. What was the progression that ended up getting you in front of Paul Carson? I was working in the news pool, and at those days, you rotated uh, guys through the sports department, the sports page, every week. It was a different guy. I was going in there, and I think the fellows that worked in there just felt like I was more committed to my craft and had a keen interest in sports and things like that, whereas some guys didn't. They kind of, I think, looked at it as a week off from shooting news. So anyway, I think it was 1990, actually. uh, I, I went with Don Taylor. Him and I went on a road trip was a three-game road trip with the Vancouver Canucks to Winnipeg, Buffalo, and Quebec City. And I think it was like the first time that anybody had kind of done that sort of thing. After I came back from that road trip, uh, I spoke to Paul Carson, and Paul approached management and said he wanted to get me into the sports department full-time, and they were a little hesitant at first, so said they'd do it on a trial basis. But I went in, and everything worked out, and the rest is history, as they say. No doubt, and, and history's been very kind to you in Sports Page and everybody associated with it. How long did it take you before you kind of looked around and maybe everybody looked around at each other and said, man, we're on to something special. Uh, we've got a good thing going here. I don't think it took me long. You know, we were just doing stuff that other people weren't doing, right? I mean, really, it's the original sports show in Canada. I'm sure there are people out there might argue with that, but yeah, it didn't take me long. I mean, I was in there with the likes of, well, certainly Don Taylor, obviously. Don was a long-serving guy there. And then I had Dave Randorf and Barry McDonald and Sean McCormick and John Shorthouse. So, yeah, it didn't take me long to figure out we had something good going. Veteran cameraman Trevor Henderson joining me here on Rob Fay Nation Podcast. And Trevor, again, I really appreciate you doing this. Was there a favorite sport for you to cover? And, uh, I mean, I, I remember seeing you down at GM Place doing basketball, hockey. The basketball I always got a kick out of because there were some challenges there, no? Well, for a guy that's five foot four, shooting handheld interviews with basketball players is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> I, I remember the day that Georgie Murzan came to town, and he was walking past me, and as I tilted up to his head, as he walked by me, I almost fell over backwards, so... Yeah, you know, that was a bit of a challenge. But, you know, it's one thing to go and shoot games. Like, And we don't really do much of that anymore just because of the advent of everything's broadcast or it's on the Internet or whatever. But, in you know, in those days when we were shooting hockey games and soccer games and football games and all this stuff, it was fun and interesting. I would rather get my uh, hooks into a, a really good feature story. One of the things I like to shoot most is boxing. 
especially in somewhere like the Astoria Hotel and the gym down there. I mean, it's a dungeon, you know, light bulbs hanging from the ceiling on wires and weird lighting and all that kind of stuff. It just gives the guy a chance to be creative. And sometimes, especially nowadays, that's not really something you always get the chance to do. So, you know, I like, honestly, I, I don't know if there's a sport I don't like to shoot, but boxing gives me a really good chance to be creative and, you know, create something into a nice feature story, you know? Trevor, I hope you don't mind me doing this, but I'd want to do a little bit of rapid fire with you. I'm going to throw a sports page personality at you and just you tell me whatever the first thing that comes to mind is. And uh, I'll start you, if this is okay, with Paul Carson. When Paul left the show, we got to find out what he really meant. And, And he was a guy that dealt with all the extraneous things outside of actually the show. He had dealt with the management and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, Paul had his passion for tennis and skiing and those kinds of things, and but he, he obviously was an administrator, and I don't think any of us really realized that until after he was gone, how good of an administrator he was and how he, how he kept all those other people, kept the wolves away from the tour, as we like to say, and let us just do our job. I've heard from a number of guys that he just let you guys work, and I think freedom sometimes brings out the best in people. I don't think I can ever recall Paul once interfering in anybody's story and saying, oh, that's not a good idea, or you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that. I honestly don't, I don't think I can ever remember a situation where that ever happened. And, you know, the other thing is, too, like, we had fun in that room. We played stupid games, and and we played pranks on each other, and Paul was a part of that. And I think Paul, you know what, as, as a manager, Paul might have been ahead of his time, because I think he realized that as long as we got the job done and we got the show on the air, that stuff didn't matter, and you, what you ended up with was a bunch of happy people working on a show and, and putting out an excellent product. Don Taylor. Don was very creative. You know, I remember one story we did where this guy was he was a he was a pool shark, and we went down to a, a pool club on Granville Street, and this guy was doing all kinds of trick shots and stuff, and I think he built pool tables too. But we ended up doing this story, you know, Don would whisper in his ear, and the guy goes, yeah, I think I can do that shot. So he hits the pool ball. We do this thing. It rolls down Granville Street. It goes over the Canby Street Bridge. It rolls down 2nd Avenue and into the studio and hits Mark Dreeshen. The ball hits him in the head, and then Russ <laughs> Rose, who was the news anchor, comes over and says, hey, Mark, 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 get up. You know, you got we got a show to do. So, you know, like that was off the wall, right? Like nobody was doing that kind of stuff. And yeah, Don was a very creative guy, a really good storyteller, really appreciated good pictures and could write to the good pictures. And a fun guy just to be around too. I mean, that's what really sticks out with Don. The voice that we heard in the intro, Barry McDonald, who I know is beloved by many. I would call BMAC a combination of Chris Hebb and Don Taylor. And BMAC, you know, he had he, he went to school in Washington. Barry was was really good. He could do the very detail-oriented story and come up with all the facts and make sure he got everything right. And he could also do the lighthearted story or the funny story, as well as doing the regular run-of-the-mill stuff, which everybody could do. Yeah, so I would call Barry a very, uh, combination of Chris Hebb and Don Taylor. Trevor, if you were to look back, who are your favorite athletes that you shot? Somebody that maybe just you ended up building a good relationship? Uh, is there one person that comes to mind? Yeah, Trevor Linden's right up there, not just because he, I mean, obviously we all know what Trevor did for the hockey team and in the city, but you know what, for me, a lot of reasons why I I think about people is because of the people that they are, and Trevor's a first-class guy. I I still stay in touch with him a little bit. I mean, if I have a question about something, I, I I get in touch with him, and he always gets back to me, and 
that goes a long way for me. So Trevor is probably right up at the top of the list, but, you know, I come across a lot of paths. I mean, Bob Landerduzzi is another guy that, you know, I developed a bit of a friendship with. Bob's another class guy. So for me, it's all about the classy individual and, you know, not necessarily about the athlete. But I say there are many. I mean, Steve Nash is also a nice guy. I was in L.A. when he was playing down there, and we, we didn't want to talk to the coach. So I stayed right at the door where he was supposed to come out. And, I, and so I, consequently, I managed to get right to the front of the line. And everybody came back, and I was at the front. And Steve Nash comes out the door, and he says, oh, Hey, Trev, how you doing? And all these guys are looking at me going, Who the hell is this guy? That's nice when that happens. Can I tell you another quick little story? Oh, my gosh, of course. Todd Lewicki, and, you know, he, he's a super nice guy. And I uh, was down at a, at a golf tournament down in Washington some years ago when he was with the Seahawks. It was the Boeing Classic or something at Snoqualmie Ridge. And I bumped into uh, Todd Lewicki, and, you know, I'm humping the gear around the, the golf course. And Todd says, hey, let me carry your tripod for you. And I said, no, no, Todd, no, it's it's fine, it's fine. We shoot a few more holes, and I went to, to pick up my tripod, and I look, and it's gone, and I turn around, and Todd's carrying it. So we get to the end of the golf, to, <laughs> the round of golf, and the uh, Seattle ABC cameraman comes up, and he goes, hey, who the heck are you? He goes, you got the CEO of the Seattle Seahawks carrying your tripod? He says, you must be important. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what those from the outside would have thought. Trevor, just one more question for you. It's something that I usually ask everybody, and I'll throw this one to you. Tell me something about Trevor Henderson that I wouldn't know unless I was Trevor Henderson. Still to this very day, I go into certain situations. It's like an athlete before a game. In certain situations, I get a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive. If I know there's going to be a big scrum, I you know worry a little bit about, you know, am I going to get my spot and stuff like that. And I mean, almost always it turns out okay, but just in some situations, even to this day, with 30 years' experience, I, I get some butterflies. Now that, my friend, I wouldn't have known. I'm glad I asked. Trevor, thank you for making time for me tonight. I really appreciate this, and uh, I have been such a fan of your work for years. I remember when I was out at Nat Bailey Stadium, God knows, eons ago, and you and BMAC came out to the ballpark and did an interview, and uh, you guys just made it look so easy, and I just sat there in awe. I think it took me three or four takes to get what I needed. You guys just walked in. I didn't even know you were recording. That's how smooth you were. So, Trevor, I'm a longtime fan. I wish you nothing but the best, and thank you for uh, sharing some of your stories. Anytime anybody wants to talk about Sports Page, I'm all in because it was the best time in our working lives. Those of us that work there, uh, we all realize now that it was the best time in our working lives. And anytime anybody wants, and I'm, I'm extremely proud of what we did there, even though I wasn't there right at the beginning. But, you know, we're all really proud of it. And anytime anybody wants to talk sports page, I'm all in. Love it. Well, between Cat Jamie and Trevor Henderson, I think that's a pretty good show. And I really appreciate you subscribing and just listening. Rob Fay Nation podcast is going to be here for the foreseeable future. Somebody was asking me when I will be on the radio again, and I think I'm just going to leave that for this episode as to be determined. <laughs> if you've if you've followed the exploits of Rob Fay Nation Radio over the last couple of months, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But have no fear, I guarantee you, I will be back on the radio soon. It's not like it's. Uh, a bad thing. It is just one of those things where my commitment to baseball trumps everything. And now that there's no baseball season, just working out a couple of the details. But uh, stay tuned, as they say in the media industry. Until we do this again next Wednesday, I am so thrilled that you have checked out Rob Fay Nation podcast. Every Wednesday, it drops. 
You'll find it wherever you download your pods. My thanks to Jay Swing. My thanks to everybody that has listened. Please, 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 if there's one thing I can ask, can you share this? Can you share the link? Can you subscribe? Can you review? That's how we'll build up this podcast together. And uh, again, as I said right on the outset of the show, to debut at number 33 in Canada in the sports column was a pretty big deal for me, and I'm hoping to grow each and every week. Please take care. Wear those masks. Do whatever you got to do to be safe. And until next Wednesday, I'm Rob Fate. Be well. Be well.